Well, greetings, friends and family. I hope that this finds you doing well on this Mother's Day weekend, Sunday, May the 10th. I want to wish a very happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers that are listening, and may you feel loved today. I want to wish a very specific Mother's Day greeting to my wife, Amy, who is the mother of our three, to my mother-in-law, Marty, who loves us all, and very specifically to my mom, Sandra Yawn, who is listening to this in South Carolina today. Mom, happy Mother's Day. I love you, and I miss you. We're going to continue looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 31, where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, picking up today with verse 21. We are never alone. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Jesus returns to his emphasis upon love and obedience in chapter 14, verses 21 through 30 through 24, excuse me, where he, he says this, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Judas Iscariot said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me and he will, he will keep my word and my father will love him and, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is, is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These verses appear to state that Jesus loves us more when we obey him, and, and that he, he loves some believers more than others. So maybe we need some clarification. You know, our obedience doesn't make God love us more than he would otherwise. God, God's love for us, God's love for people is essentially as, as great as it can be. However, in the family relationship that Jesus is describing, our obedience allows God to express his love for us without restraint. You see, when there is disobedience, God, God doesn't has express his love as fully because he must discipline us. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 4 through 11 supports this. Without question, some believers love Jesus more than others do. This results in some believers obeying him more and, and, and others enjoying a more intimate relationship and greater understanding of him than others enjoy. It's like this. I, I have three children. Amy and I have three children. I love them equally. I love them differently, but I love them equally. However, if, if any of my children are rebellious and, and disobedient, well, then we have to discipline them. It doesn't affect my love for them. It's actually another way of expressing my love for them. But if rebellion persists, then, then we may not be able to be as intimate as I would like to be. I may not be able to give them some of the privileges or rewards that come from being obedient. My love for my children doesn't change, but our fellowship may change. So three observations here. First of all, the verb disclose or emphanizo found in verse 21 means that Jesus will make himself known to obedient believers through the Holy Spirit, through the advocate, the helper. Second, the word translated abode or mone in, in verse 23, it's the same word translated as dwelling places. In, in verse 2, Jesus is preparing a dwelling place for us, but he and the Father also dwells with us to the degree that we obey him. 
And then thirdly, all of this emphasis upon obedience, it's for my own good. It's for our good. I imagine we've never regretted our obedience to Jesus. We have probably often regretted our disobedience to him. Then in verse 25 and 26, Jesus shares with his disciples another role of of the helper, of the advocate. He says this, These things I have spoken to you while abiding with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. If we ever wanted to know how it was that the New Testament came to be written, here, here's the answer. The disciples, you see, they didn't walk around Galilee with little notepads waiting for Jesus to say something so they could take a note, later negotiate a publishing contract. You know, they had absolutely no intention of writing anything. They, they never expected Jesus to leave. But later, much, much later for some of them, the necessity arose to preserve the things that had happened so that those of the, the next generation could know about them. So that was when they began to write. The Holy Spirit, the the reason the Holy Spirit would put these things into the minds of the apostles was because he wanted to put them into our minds. You see, all scripture is God breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in the ways of righteousness. It is the Spirit who puts the words into scripture. That is why it is alive. It is living. And it is the Spirit who helps us to recall what we have read when we need it. I can't recall something I haven't yet read read or learned. I can't remember something I haven't read or heard. So if we're looking for spiritual recall, it's critical that we immerse ourselves in God's truth, in his word. There are many reading, many reasons for, for reading the Bible, many reasons for going to church, being a member of a, of a Zoom Bible study. But one major reason is that it gives the Holy Spirit something to bring up, some truth to work with. Yes, he is the spirit of truth. And we learn that truth by studying the truth, his word. Exposure to God's word can change our very souls. And with exposure to God's word and and its presence in our lives, the Holy Spirit changes us. We become more receptive to God's message and, and gradually we become more like Christ. Jesus exclaims later then in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Oh, how appropriate for us right now. Jesus promises his disciples peace, but not just any peace. Jesus offers his very own peace. The phrase, do not let your hearts be troubled, takes us back to to verse 1 of chapter 14. But Jesus now adds the phrase, or, or nor, let it be fearful, because he's about to depart and his disciples are becoming increasingly anxious and fearful. And as a result, they desperately need the peace that he offers. Jesus's peace adds something to life rather than merely subtracting something. You know, I'm used to thinking of peace as the absence of things, right? It's the absence of conflict, the absence of war, the absence of stress, the absence of worry. However, Jesus's peace, it includes the absence of those things, but it also includes the presence of blessing. It's an addition. In fact, maybe we could go so far as to say that the absence of distress is the result of God's blessing. 
Jesus is offering a peace that is a, a settled sense of well-being and security. You see, Jesus is there. He is always there offering us everything we need. He is there offering us peace. And then in verse 28, Jesus, this, this fascinating verse, you heard, you heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Previously in chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. So in, in that verse, he, he's speaking of his essential co-equality with God. He's, he's sharing in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here in, in verse 28 of chapter 14, Jesus is referring to his voluntary position as a servant under God, one sent by the Father. Jesus is saying that he is humble, that he's the submissive son who submits himself to the authority of his Father. The words Jesus spoke to his disciples, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. Are, they're relevant to us now. You see, God has given us people and things to enjoy, things that remind us of him. But it's important to hold them with a loose grasp, not to cling. So what am I clinging to? It could be a job, a, a person, our family, uh, material possessions, a, a way of life that seems to have changed. Maybe I'm clinging to the past. And I have to remember that the Lord not only gives, but he, he may someday take away that which he has for a time it, entrusted to our care. And, and if he does, my possessiveness, my clinging, my holding on with all my might could find me in some kind of tug of war with the Holy God. The passage closes in chapter 14, 29 through 31, these verses with, with these words from Jesus. Now, I have told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. So get up, let us go from here. Some interesting tidbits in these in these three verses. First of all, in verse 29, Jesus tells the disciples that he's, he's told them all these things before they happen so that when they do happen, the disciples may believe. Now, he, he's not talking about belief for the first time. They, 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 they have believed. And over and over, John affirms that they, in fact, have believed. But when they see these things happen, their level of trust in Jesus will increase and their concept of who he is expands. They grow. We, too, we too have to pray that the Lord would continually increase our faith. Lord Jesus, increase my faith. Let us grow. Secondly, in verse 30, Jesus declares the ruler of the world is coming and that he has nothing in me. Now, this, this is interesting because this, this phrase constitutes sort of a rendering of a, of a Hebrew uh, legal expression. It's found in legal context and in, in the sense is that he has no claim on me. He has no claim. The ruler of the world, the, our enemy, has no claim on Jesus. He has no power over him. He has no claim, no hold. Jesus will not surrender. He will never surrender his mission to be obedient to his Father. Verse 31. May we, too, never surrender to be obedient. May we seek to obey Christ and to fulfill his will in our lives. 
no matter what. I want to close with reading Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 21. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Friends, until we're together again, may God hold us in the hollow of his hand. Amen, and God bless.